0: Live to Give podcast, Sunday Sermons, where each week you get to hear the message preached at Faith Church in Lansing, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Yeah, about that. My, uh, my name's Evan. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church, and we are continuing our series called About That. This is where we are taking a look at just some odd parts of the Bible. Weird stories that at first glance just make you go, yeah, about that? Like, how do we talk about that? What does that even mean? Uh, those are the types of things that we're diving into. And today is no different. Today we're looking at a guy named Abram. But first off, let me ask you all a question, um, especially those of you watching on Facebook or something like that. I want to ask you a question. Uh, do you like to go camping? How many of you like to go camping? Camping is an odd experience for me. I'm not a big fan of it. But I want to hear from you. Do you like to go camping? So put in the comments, throw up like a hand emoji, uh, say I do or I don't, thumbs down, whatever you want to do. Interact uh, with that question because I want to see what your answers are. All right. We're, We're going to be looking at a guy named Abram. And Abram goes camping. Now, Abram is all throughout scripture uh he he's a super popular guy um he uh might you might know him better by his other name which is abraham later on in his story god changes his name to abraham but at this point in his life his name is still Abram. But he's all over the, the Bible, but we're going to look at just a small chunk of his story. And it's going to pick up in Genesis 12 if you want to follow along in your own Bible. That's more towards the very beginning. couple pages of the Bible is where we're going to be. Um, but we'll have it up here on the screens for you as well. But this story starts off with God inviting Abram to leave his uh, his home, where he lives, his family, his current tribe. And he's going to start a new tribe. So we're going to pick up Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through You. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Lot is his nephew. Uh, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. So he's 75 years old and God taps him on the the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to create a new tribe, a brand new uh, group of people that is unlike anything in uh, this world has ever seen before. You see, during this time, um, the, uh all the different tribes in the nation or in the world, um, they existed for themselves. All they cared about was they themselves growing to be the most wealthy, the most powerful tribe. And a lot of times you do that through war. You do that through um, battling each other, through creating alliances, and then stabbing that alliance in the back. You did whatever you could do to get ahead. That is how tribes worked back in the day. But, but God taps Abram on the shoulder and says, uh, you are going to start a new tribe, one that has never been seen before, one that is going to bless all other tribes. And this was new back then. No, nobody... No other tribe existed to bless other tribes. No other tribe existed to become a blessing for the whole world. They wanted to bless themselves and their people and no one else. So this was a brand new thing that God is starting here. And he's picking Abram of all people. It's a lot of responsibility to give to this man. But Jesus saw fit that he should do it. Now, if you know much about Abraham or Abram's story, uh, you'll know that he makes a lot of mistakes throughout scripture. He, he makes a lot of mistakes throughout scripture. For example, one of the mistakes he makes is uh, he, he's in Egypt and his wife, whose name is Sarai, later on she's Sarah, but Sarai, um, she, she goes with Abram to Egypt. Now, his wife is very beautiful. Beautiful. And uh, when they get to Egypt, a bunch of people like start checking out his wife. And so they ask him, they ask uh, Abram about his wife and he lies to them and says, oh, this is my sister. It's not my wife. Because he was afraid that they would murder him and take his wife. And so he lies to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Well, under that assumption that, that this woman isn't married, Pharaoh takes her and uh, he ends up sleeping with Abram's wife. And, and what Abram was trying to, to be, his, his call from God is to be a, a new tribe that, that supports other tribes, that blesses other tribes. And instead, he's causing Pharaoh and the Egyptians destruction. He's causing them uh, basically to, to, to uh, live in this lie that Abram created. And that ends up causing curses on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It causes harm to them. You see, there's a major issue here. What started off as someone being called to be a tribe that blesses all other tribes, see, he's making mistakes already. He ends up cursing other tribes. There's something to say here, and that's that for some reason, God still chose Abram. Despite mistakes he might be making throughout his life, and God being all-knowing, all-powerful, he, he knows this Abram guy, and in the path that he's going to take throughout life, God still chose him. I, wa- I want you to put that uh, in the back of your mind. We're, we're going to come back to that in a bit. But Abram and his tribe, they end up growing so large that, uh, that they split. Abram splits everything with his nephew Lot, uh, and so their tribes, they just split. Um, and so that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis 13 as we continue this story about Abram. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, "'Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west.'" I am giving all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. You see, Abram, he's 75 years old, starting a new tribe, not being great at it right off the bat. And, And he's also kidless, we should say, at 75 And God's trying to tell him, hey, you're going to become this huge tribe and you will have so many descendants that you can't even count them. But at 75, he's childless and he's given these huge plans for his life. How how does he reconcile that? How does he handle these huge plans at such a, I'm sorry for our older generation, but at an older age? What's he supposed to do with that? Well, let me tell you something. I think it's a truth that we all know. And that's this things don't always go as planned, do they? Do they? If you can relate to that statement, I want you to put in the comments right now another hand, uh, give it a thumbs up, like, whatever, just interact. Saying, yeah, I I get that. Things don't always go as planned. You know, we, we, we may be expecting great things and are given awful things. We may pray and pray and pray about a situation. We don't get the answer that we want. We ask God for various things and they don't always come in the forms that we're expecting. And a lot of times when things don't go the way that we expect them to, it leads to us questioning God. Who are you? Are you even aware of my situation? You see, 20 years pass. Abram is now 95 years old and he still doesn't have a child. 95 years years old, and he's still childless. That's where the story picks up after God gives him this huge promise that he will have so many descendants, and he's now 20 years later with an empty promise. What do we do with that? Genesis 15, check this out. Some time later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, "'Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great.'" But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. You see, Abram says, God what good are your blessings? You promised me I was going to have a son. You promised me descendants. That was your promise. And I'm 20 years later, still waiting for that answer from you. What? All your blessings, God? What about that promise? you gave me. For 20 years, Abram has been wandering around in this land, living in a tent, folks. For 20 years, he's been living in a tent, in a tent with the uh, biblical God, the one who is all-powerful, almighty, in charge of all. He knows everything. And he's wandering around, living in a tent for 20 years, banking on this promise that God tells him. It is a tough life. I can't imagine what that frustration is like. My guess is I think there's people who are watching this, listening to this, who, who might know what that's like, though. That you have been begging God for answers. You see, in this uh, section right here that we're reading, in verse 2, when Abram uh, calls out to God, he says, O oh, sovereign Lord, that is a classic way of crying out to God, okay? He's frustrated. He is yelling at God, O oh, sovereign Lord, and he starts talking about his problems. He's calling out to God, look at this. Look at what is going on. It's as if Abram is sitting, sulking inside his tent. I I, I imagine him just sitting there like this, right? He's just kind of pouting and he's upset with God and he's like, God, look at what I am dealing with. Are you not aware of the situation of my life? And it's almost like he's telling God things from his perspective. God, you need to see things from, from my perspective, I hate my job. I don't get paid enough. Do you see the stress inside my home at home? I've been praying and praying for you to change my situation. Are you not aware of what is going on? Abram is crying out to God in frustration. As if God would all of a sudden just come down to where Abram is in his tent and be like, Oh dang, I didn't know it was this bad. Oh, dude, I I gave you all those promises, and man, I didn't know it was this bad. I'll tell you what, if I was God, (laughs) I'd be really upset. But thankfully, I'm not God. Thankfully, God is rich in mercy and in grace. And I love this next part of this story. Because what you think God would do, lay a a cosmic smackdown on Abram, is not how he responds. Check out this in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is another way of saying that literally God went to Abram. God went to Abram. This man will not be your heir. Remember, he's talking about Abram's... uh, um, servant that he's like I don't have a son so it's just going to be Eliezer who takes care of all this Uh, this man will not be your heir but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir so he's reinforcing that promise that he said to him 20 years ago he took him outside and said look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is a beautiful interaction with God. We have a man sitting inside of his tent, sulking. He is upset. He is frustrated with God. And what does God do? He goes right to Abram. He comes to him. How often do we think that, that, that God is going to respond with anger and, and he's just going to be so mad at us for, for crying out to him, but he shows Abram mercy and grace because of his frustration, because of Abram's feeling around that empty promise. And God goes to him. He meets Abram where he's at. He meets Abram inside that very tent what kind of God does that? A God that is rich in mercy and in grace. But God doesn't just meet Abram inside that tent. He, he, he takes it another step. He meets Abram where he's at, but he doesn't leave Abram there. What does he do? He invites Abram, to a better, greater perspective, he invites Abram outside of his tent. It's as, it's as if Abram's perspective was only this big right here, sitting inside of his tent. This is all he could see in life, was just right here. And God says, man, there, there's a bigger, better perspective There's more things going on in your life than what you're aware of and I wanna give you a glimpse into that and he brings Abram outside of his tent and says, look up at those stars. Try to count them. My son, I'm giving you this promise. When I promise you something, I mean it. Even if it's 20 years later, I mean it. I think too often we can relate to that where we're stuck inside our own tent in our own perspective only looking for things that are for us or or against us and we're not aware of the bigger picture of what's happening. You know, it might be personal situations that you're battling and going through. It might be a, a family situation, a business situation, political situation, a religious situation, a friend situation, whatever, you name it. Whatever it is, that like you are stuck in your own perspective. In a few weeks, we're going to be talking about um, doing a, a sermon that's about listening. I think one of the greatest ways that we can change our perspective is by listening. What does Abram end up doing in this situation? He listens to God and God changes his perspective. So whatever situation you find yourself in where you're stuck inside that tent, maybe God is drawing you outside of that tent for a greater understanding. Let's keep reading this story. Pick up in uh, verse 7 here. Then the Lord told him, again, still uh, still talking to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will uh, actually possess it? He's crying out to God again, just saying like, man, this is beautiful. You're showing me the stars, but, but how will I know that I'll possess it? He's asking for almost like a little more evidence from God. And again, you would think God would respond with, oh, this guy, let me tell you. No, rich in mercy and grace. Watch this. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, like you do, right? So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. Really weird. Again, this is why we call it about that, um, Side by side, he did not, however, cut the birds in half. The author wants us to know that. Um, some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away, which I love that occasionally uh, authors in the Bible will throw in just these random facts. So for me, when I read this, I picture Abram going like, shoo, shoo, you know, <laughs> like getting these uh, vultures away from these like animals cut in half. I don't know. It, it just made me laugh. But anyways... Here's the, the, the big thing with this. When we read it in our context, we're like, that is the weirdest, strangest thing that God asked him to do. But actually, when you read it in context, uh, that's actually how they did deals back then. That's what contracts looked like. They didn't have super drawn, long uh, contracts that are, you know, 35 pages long. They didn't need witnesses or notaries. It's not like it is today. What they would do is they would gather animals like this, cut them in half, and then both parties who are entering into this agreement would walk down the aisle side by side. And the reason why they have these dead animals cut in half is because they, they are saying to the other person that they're in contract with that if I don't hold up my end of the deal, I'll end up like these animals. It was great you know, imagery for those people realizing the seriousness of the, the contract, the covenant that they're entering into with each other. Now, we're, we're going to skip a few verses here, um, but I'll, I'll quick summarize them. Abram falls asleep after he's shooing the vultures away, right? He falls asleep. It's a hard job to cut all these animals in half. So, Abram's asleep. Um, God starts talking about Abram's offspring in a vision. He's prophesying uh, about various trials that Abram and his descendants are going to go through. And he, but he states that in the end, all things are going to be worked out for their good and they will be a blessing to this world. So we're going to pick up in verse 17. Watch this. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. So Abram is off to the side and suddenly he notices between these, this aisle of carcasses that a, a smoking fire pot, which is essentially an oven back in the day, and a torch appear and walk down the aisle without him. Now, why? Well, well, to make it very simple for us, the presence of God is often illustrated by fire. And so what we have here is an illustration of God walking down the aisle alone without Abram. No one is signing that contract with God. Why? Why did God do it alone? It's actually quite simple. God doesn't need us to hold up the end of our deal. But he is promising he'll always hold up his end of the deal. God is making a covenant with, um, with Abram right here and to all his people, his descendants. Folks, we, if you call yourself a Christ follower, we are descendants of Abraham spiritually. So, so, so this covenant that God is making with Abram and his people is for us. And God is saying, I don't need you to hold up your end of the deal because this isn't transactional. This this isn't you give me what I want and I'll give you what I want. It isn't like that. It is purely solely based on God and nothing else. It is Jesus and nothing. There is nothing else that goes with it. Anything else that you attach to, yeah, you can be saved, but you have to also do this. Anything you attach to, yeah, yeah, uh, Jesus died for you, but you also need to do these three steps in order to get into heaven. No, anything that is attached to God in this covenant or, or Jesus nothing is attached to it. It is purely based on God walking down that aisle by himself and nothing else. So why would God do this? Because he has unconditional love for you and I. He is telling us, he is declaring to us, I don't need you to hold up your end of the deal. Because I will always hold up my end of the deal. It's a beautiful moment. And it's echoed in the New Testament. In one of the most powerful verses you will ever read. Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He walks down that aisle for us every time. Whether we're with him or not. Because his promise is, I will always hold up my end of the deal. So what? What do we do with something like this? You see, there's times in our lives when all we can see is right in front of us. That our perspective is stuck inside that tent. And we can't see beyond ourselves. We can't see beyond our situations. We're stuck in that And some of you may have been stuck, just like Abram, 20 years inside that tent, and you're crying out to God, Do you even care, God? Do you even know what is going on in my life right now? And God responds by coming down right where you're at. He meets you inside of that tent because He is rich in mercy and grace. But He's not going to leave you in that tent. He wants to invite you to move forward, to see things from his perspective, a greater, better, bigger perspective than the one you have stuck inside that tent. But it does take a little bit of action on your part to move forward. You see, God could have. He's all powerful. He could have ripped the tent open and then showed Abram, but he doesn't. He invites Abram to move forward. He invites Abram outside of the tent to see something greater. What is God inviting you outside for? What is something in your life that you need to have a change of perspective on? And even then, like Abram does, he still asks God, but how do I know? I know you promised me this, but, but what is my reassurance here? And all God has to do is just remind you of his unconditional love. That he signs that contract on the dotted line every time. Whether we're with him or not. Whether we walk down the aisle with him or not. He declares, I will hold up my end of the deal. That's powerful stuff, friends. That is powerful So what does God want to show you? Can I take a guess? I bet if he invited you outside of your tent, he'd show you how much he loves you. How much a father is proud of and loves his daughter and son. I bet he'd remind you of all the times he's been good to you. All those memories that he would point out from the past and and just say, but remember that time where I held you? I got you through that. And yeah, this may be 20 years in the making, but I'm going to get you through this too. You watch. I bet he'd remind you of the people he's placed in your life to be advocates for you. People who will speak truth and love and grace and peace into your life and bring joy to your life. He'll remind you of those folks. I bet he'd show you far bigger plans than the ones you might have for yourself. Plans that will prosper you Plans that'll bring you forward into a better future. I bet he'd remind you of promises in Scripture that are for you. That he'll never leave you or forsake you. That he'll bring you to greener pastures and lead you by still waters. I bet he'd remind you of Scripture. I bet he'd show you grace like the way he showed Abram. He wouldn't be a God who comes down with fire and wrath. He would be a God who enters your, your tent but then invites you outside of it to show you greater things. And I bet he'd remind you of the ways you can be a blessing to those around you. Because ultimately, that's what he showed Abram. He said, yeah, you're going to get your son. And that's going to be a beautiful thing. But remember, you, the plans I have for you are greater than just a son. The plans I have for you is to bless this world. And I bet God has the same plan for you. To help you bless this world. Are you stuck inside your tent? Is God inviting you outside of it to change your perspective? And ultimately, is God wanting to show you something greater and remind you of his covenant with you? That, that, that it'll be tough times ahead, and it may be 20 years, but his covenant will always be true with you. Even when you cry out in frustration and don't understand what's happening in that moment, he will still come to you, he will meet you right where you're at, and he will sign that covenant with you every time, with or without you. He will be right there for you. So how do we change our perspective. What does that look like? I know it feels like now I'm entering even more uh, parts of my message. I'm not. This is the very end and it's rapid fire. I think there's three super quick things that we can do to change our perspective. That first one is pray. You got to have communication with God. If you aren't praying through your situation, that you're not asking, inviting God to intervene. I bet that's something you want right now. Is to God to intervene in something going on in this world. Pray. You gotta have communication. The second thing is reach out. You have to reach out. You you have to have people in your life that you can talk to about what's happening. Ask them to also pray with you, ask them to, to be a part of that journey with you. You gotta reach out. You gotta have those people in your life. And then the last thing is trust. And that's ultimately what God invited. Abram to do. Trust me. Trust me. I will sign that dotted line every time for you. This covenant is dependent on God, not you. So when you begin to struggle inside of that tent, allow God to bring you outside and allow him to remind you that you are a son and a daughter that he loves unconditionally. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought of no better way to end it than communion. Because ultimately, that's what communion is. Where we are reminded of the covenant that we have with God through Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the final sacrifice. When Jesus was on that cross, he says, It is finished. It was the ultimate signing of a covenant. And the only part that involved you is you just saying yes to Jesus. So we're going to sing a a little bit. And and during this next time of worship, I want to invite you at any moment after you've reflected on what's going on in life. And again, maybe it's you sitting in that tent and you need to have that moment with God where you pray to him. You ask him to intervene, and then you remind yourself that this is a God who can be trusted, that this is a God who made a covenant that didn't expect anything from me. He did it simply out of unconditional love for you. And so during these, uh, this next time of worship, you, uh, you take communion when you're ready, and you be reminded of that covenant, that this is Jesus' blood being poured out for you. His body being broken for you because God loves you unconditionally. Be reminded of that covenant as we move forward this week. Would you pray? Father, we just pray that you bless this uh, communion, this time, this moment that we share with you, that we enter into your throne room and you just remind us of who we are, our identity. Our covenant with you that you bring us into a greater perspective of what's going on in life and you remind us of the ways that we can be a blessing to other people. Jesus, we just ask that you draw close to us in this moment. In your name we pray.